Letter eleven of Young Americans Abroad, or Vacation in Europe, Travels in England, France, Holland, Belgium, Prussia, and Switzerland, edited by J. O. Chules, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter eleven, London, dear Charlie, the story goes that Mister Webster, when he first arrived in London, ordered the man to drive to the Tower. Certainly, we boys all wanted to go there as soon as possible. I do not think that I ever felt quite so touch excitement as I did when we were riding to the tower. I had so many things crowding into my mind, and all the history of England with which I had been so pleased came at once freshly into my memory. I wanted to be alone and have all day to wander up and down the old prison and palace and museum, for it has been all these things by turns. Well, we rode over Tower Hill and got directly in front of the old fortress and had a complete view of it. In the center stands a lofty building with four white towers having vanes upon them. This is said to be the work of William the Conqueror, but has had many alterations under William Rufus, Henry the First, and Henry the Second. In thirteen fifteen, the tower was besieged by the barons who made war on John. Henry the Third made his residence in the place and did much to strengthen and adorn it. About this time, the tower began to be used as a state prison. Edward the First enlarged the ditch or moat which surrounded the tower. In the days of Richard the Second, when the king had his troubles with Wat Tyler, the Archbishop of Canterbury was beheaded on Tower Hill, or rather massacred, for it said that he was mangled by eight strokes of the axe. When Henry V gained his great victory at Agincourt, he placed his French prisoners here. Henry the Eighth was here for some time after he came to the throne. And he made his yeomen the warders of the tower, and they still wear the same dress as at that day. The dress is very rich, scarlet and gold, and made very large. The coat short and sleeves full. The headdress is a cap. We went in at what is called the Lion's Gate because some time back the menagerie was kept in apartments close by. The kings of other days used to have fights between beasts, and James the First was very fond of combats between lions and dogs in the presence of his court. All these animals were moved several years ago to the zoological gardens. We passed through strong gates defended by a portcullis, and on our left we saw what the warden called the bell tower, and which was the prison of Bishop Fisher, who was beheaded for not acknowledging Henry the Eighth to be the head of the church. I wanted to see the traitor's gate and found it was on the right hand, having a communication with the Thames under a bridge on the wharf. Through this passage, it was formerly the custom to convey the state prisoners. And many a man in passing this gate bade farewell to hope. There is just opposite to this gate the bloody tower where Edward V and his brother were put to death by the monster Richard, who usurped the throne. I would have given a great deal to have explored the tower, but the things and places I wanted to look into were just what you are not let to see. The old tower of English history you can look at, but must not go through. Still, I have been delighted, but not satisfied. We found the spot where the grand storehouse and armory were burnt in 1841, and if I recollect rightly, the warden said it was 350 feet long and 60 wide. Here, I suppose, was the finest collection of cannon and small firearms in the world. We saw some fine specimens that were saved. Of course, we were curious to see the horse armory. This is a room 150 feet in length and about 35 wide. Someone has said that here is the history of England done in iron. All down the middle of the room is a line of equestrian figures, and over each character is his banner. All the sides of the apartment are decorated with trophies and figures in armor. 
I was much gratified with the beautiful taste displayed in the arrangement of the arms upon the walls and ceiling. Some of the suits of armor are very rich, and answered exactly to my notions of such matters. Here I saw for the first time the coat of mail, and I think the men of that day must have been stronger than those of our time, or they never could have endured such trappings. I was much pleased with the real armor of Henry the Eighth. This suit was very rich and damasked. And here, too, was the very armor of Dudley, Earl of Leicester, who figured at the court of Elizabeth. It weighs eighty-seven pounds, and close by it is the martial suit of the unfortunate Essex. He was executed, you know, at this place, 1601. Among the most beautiful armors we saw were the suits of Charles I and a small one, which belonged to his younger brother when a lad. I think one suit made for Charles when a boy of twelve would have fitted me exactly, and wouldn't I have liked to become its owner? King Charles's armor was a present from the city of London, and was one of the latest manufactured in England. I do not think I ever was in a place that so delighted me. I cannot tell you a hundredth part of the curiosities that are to be seen in all sorts of rude and ancient weapons, several instruments of torture, prepared by the Roman Catholics, at the time of the Spanish Armada, for the conversion of the English heretics. One of these was the iron collar, which weighs about fifteen pounds, and has a rim of inward spikes, and besides we saw a barbarous instrument, called the scavenger's daughter, which packed up the body and limbs into an inconceivably small place. We looked with deep interest, you may imagine, Charlie, on the block on which the Scotch lords Balmerino, Calmernook, and Lovett were beheaded in 1746. The fatal marks upon the wood are deeply cut, and we had in our hands the axe which was used at the execution of the Earl of Essex. I shall read the history of this country, I am sure, with more pleasure than ever, after walking over the yard and Tower Hill, where so many great and good, as well as so many infamous persons, have suffered death. Only think what a list of names to be connected with the block! Fisher, Moore, Queen Anne Boleyn, Queen Catherine Howard, Margaret, Countess of Salisbury, Cromwell and Devereux, both Earls of Essex, the Duke of Somerset, Lady Jane Grey and her husband, the Duke of Northumberland, Sir Walter Raleigh, Stratford, Laud, all perished on the Tower Green or on the Tower Hill. The spot is easily recognized where the scaffold was erected. The regalia, or crown jewels, are kept in an apartment built on purpose to contain these precious treasures. Here are the crowns that once belonged to different sovereigns and heirs of the throne. At the death of Charles I, the crown in use, and said to be as old as the times of Edward the Confessor, was broken up, and a new one made at the restoration of Charles II. The arches of this crown are covered with large stones of different colors, and the cap of the crown is of purple velvet. The old crown for the queen is of gold, set with diamonds of great cost, and has some large pearls. There is a crown called the diadem, which was made for James II's queen, adorned with diamonds, and which cost just about half a million of dollars. The crown of the Prince of Wales is plain gold. As for orbs, staffs, and scepters, I can't tell you the half of the number. One I noticed called St. Edward's Staff, of gold, four feet seven inches long. At the top is an orb and a cross, and a fragment of the Saviour's cross is said to be in the orb. Here, too, are all kinds of swords, called swords of justice and mercy, and vessels to hold the oil for anointing the monarch at coronation, and a salt-cellar of gold, which is used at the same time, and is a model of the tower. I thought all this very fine, but I was most pleased with seeing such splendid specimens of precious stones. Such diamonds, pearls, amethysts, emeralds, etc., we Yankee boys had never seen, and probably may never see again. 
I was very much delighted with a large silver wine fountain, presented by Plymouth to Charles the Second, and which is used at coronation banquets, and also with the font of silver gilt, used at the baptism of the Queen. It stands about four feet high. Over all this show that I have told you of is the state crown made for Victoria. This is very brilliant, and in the center of the diamond cross is a sparkling sapphire, while in front of the crown is a large ruby which was worn by the Black Prince. Well, Charlie, my boy, I would rather go to Washington and look at our old copy of the Declaration of Independence than gaze for a whole day at this vast collection of treasure. There is more to be proud of in that old camp equipage of Washington's up in the patent office than in all the crown jewels of England. At least, so I think, and so do you. Yours affectionately, George. End of letter 11. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox files are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.